0: My dear brethren and sisters this morning we have arrived at the consideration of the tabernacle in that particular part of which we approach the place of the Divine Presence. And I would like to read as an introduction to our discussion this morning, Exodus chapter 25, verses 10 through 22. Exodus 25, verses 10 through 22. And they shall make an ark of shittim wood, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, within and without shalt thou overlay it, and thou shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof, and two rings shall be in the one side of it, and two rings in the other side of it. And thou shalt make staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be borne with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark, They shall not be taken from it, and thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee, and thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold, of beaten work shalt thou make them in the ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherubim on the one end, and the other cherubim cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall ye make the cherubims on the ends thereof. And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee, and there I will meet with thee and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Now yesterday we approached in our discussion of the tabernacle to the veil and figuratively we stood before the veil, in that holy place, that separate and holy life which we are expected to follow after we have entered through the door of the tabernacle. We are in this holy place in at-one-ment with our Creator. We are at-one-ment through the sacrifice and the service of Jesus Christ. There is no other door, there is no other way in which we come into at-one-ment with the Almighty except through Jesus Christ. But we are not complete yet. This period as I suggested yesterday, that the veil which separates the Most Holy, the Holy from the Most Holy, is both a prophecy and a period of waiting. We are now waiting for the time when we shall be invited to enter into the Most Holy place or the Presence. Of the Almighty when he bestows upon us the divine nature. So this morning we are going to consider at quite some length what is in the most holy place and I will ask you to defer your walk up to here until I will allow the last ten minutes for a walk up to view what is in the most holy place or to view the entire tabernacle. Now of our discussions this week, there is only one very important part which is not being shown. That is a model of the high priest in his full dress and robes as he ministered before the Lord. That will be the subject of our discussion tomorrow. Now, as I read in Exodus, there was to be made an Ark of the Covenant. This was to be a box of Shechem wood or Acacia wood. It was two and a half cubits long, one and a half cubits wide, and one and a half cubits high. It was an open top box. It is known in the scriptures as the Ark of the Covenant, or the Ark of the Testimony. There was to be, as you will notice when you come up here, there was to be an ornamental band running around the four sides of this this, uh, Ark of the Covenant. It was to be overlaid inside and out, all over, with pure gold. Now, there is a great deal of significance to this Ark of the Covenant. First of all, this Ark of the Covenant is a container, and being of wood, overlaid with gold, it foreshadows you and I. In this respect, the gold is imperishable, but the wood is perishable. Furthermore, as a container it typifies this, because in this ark, when you come up here, we will lift off the mercy seat with the cherubims. And in the ark, at the commandment of the Almighty, there were three things placed in this ark. One that you had here, mentioned of this morning, was the, uh, the, t- the testimony, or the tables of the covenant. So the two tables of stone which Moses provided and upon which the Almighty's angel inscribed the Ten Commandments they were placed in this Ark of the Testimony. Also there was Aaron's rod that budded and the third was the golden pot of manna which was to be laid up for a testimony that was fed forty years in the wanderings in the wilderness let's look at the two tables of the covenant this represents to you and to I that God's law must be enshrined and laid up on the table, the fleshly tables of the heart. It must be placed there above all other desire that we might have. It must be first. It is also typical that immortality is given to only those who love God's law. For the pure gold is the righteousness of the saints, is the faith, the tried faith of the saints. And immortality will be given to those who love God's law. Now let us think about this just a moment. When God's law is in our hearts and is our first and foremost desire, then where do we derive our greatest and most lasting pleasure, the most lasting satisfaction that can be ours in this life? Is it not in communion with God's Word? That is where the enduring riches will be found, is in God's Word. Psalm 37. I'd like you to turn over with me and let's read just a few verses. Just a verse. Psalm 37. Verse 30. Verse 31, I should say. Now you all know that this is a Psalm of David, and it opens with an exhortation to the saints of all ages. Fret not thyself because of evildoers neither be thou envious of the workers of iniquity how verse 31 the law of his God is in his heart none of his steps shall slide brethren and sisters the law of our God be in our hearts or as the Apostle Paul said it should be engraved upon the fleshly tables of our hearts and not on tables of stone but we are looking at the antitypical condition that we are, expect, are expected to attain to therefore we, God's law must be our delight. It must be our chiefest and our most profound joy to come here because the wisdom that, co- that emanates from God's law is priceless. There is no value in this world or in any place in the universe that can be attached or placed upon God's law. It is the way to life, and what can we offer, or what can we offer to pay in return for life? Life means everything, and particularly, life means more when it is everlasting and eternal. the second object that was placed in this Ark of the Covenant was Aaron's rod that budded. And the question will come to your minds, why was this placed in the Ark of the Covenant? Well, I think by just a little reading on our part at your leisure, See numbers 16 and 17. We are not going to read them. I will briefly relate what is, uh, is written there. But read numbers 16 and 17 at your leisure. Numbers, Numbers chapter 16 and 17. Now let's, let's look back and see what was taking place at this time in the history of Israel while they were in the wilderness. You will recall that there was murmuring that Moses seemed to occupy such an important place before the nation of Israel. They murmured and said, are not all the people righteous? And in order to to settle once and for all that condition that seemed to rise up in the nation of Israel, they were instructed to every man was to take a rod, and they were to be given to Moses. The twelve tribes, if I recall right, each tribe was to take a rod, and they were to be given to Moses, they were to be taken to the tabernacle and they were to be laid there one by one before the tabernacle overnight and Moses was to come back in the morning and the testimony is that the Almighty would select by a miracle the rod that he chose reading these two chapters you will find that upon Moses return in the morning Aaron's rod was the only rod that had budded not only had it budded but it had brought forth I think, um, I forget what the the, uh, fruit, what it was, but it had budded and brought forth fruit. Now there is a very great and profound principle established upon this selection of Aaron's rod. To all outward intents, these twelve rods were all identical. There was no difference to them as far as the children of Israel were concerned. But let me suggest this, and I believe the Scriptures bear it out, that there is a divine principle being established in the fact that Aaron's rod budded. It is the principle of divine selection and divine choice. Aaron's rod was budded and was selected in order that the children of Israel might realize that the Almighty would choose the man or the woman whom he wishes to draw near to him. Jesus expressed this same thought in speaking to his disciples. He said, ye have not chosen me, But I have chosen you The choice is on the part of the Almighty It is his kingdom. It is not our kingdom It is his to give immortality Not ours to earn. We will never earn it We will never be justified on the basis of the works that we have done when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, all of us will come far short of ever meriting the gift of immortality. It is through the mercy, the goodness, and the forbearance of the Almighty that he will overlook our failings and shortcomings and will grant to us the perfection that comes with the divine nature. So, this divine principle which is shown in Aaron's rod that budded is that all creation, it's a divine principle in all creation, rulers, and religion. There is no other way to salvation except the way that the Almighty has chosen God, the Father in heaven will cannot countenance sin. He cannot. He can he will not compromise his supremacy. He has no equal. We all remember that the rulers that Nebuchadnezzar had to learn quite a lesson. He, after the interpretation of his dream by the prophet Daniel, decided that all the world must worship him, must fall down and worship him. And on those that failed to do so, they were to be cast into burning fire a furnace. Remember there were three men that defied Nebuchadnezzar just let me suggest upon what basis of scripture did they defy the burning fiery furnace it's written in Isaiah it's in Isaiah and because of their faith in Isaiah's word of God's word spoken by Isaiah they defied Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar's words were turned back on him there never was deliverance on such a fashion that three men could be thrown down bound into a midst of a burning burning fiery furnace and could walk through it and not even the smell of fire pass onto their garments. And Nebuchadnezzar had to recognize that the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Now there's another feature of Aaron's rod. It was a dead rod. To all intents and purposes, it was like all the other rods. But you see how in symbol, the Almighty in the tabernacle of, wilderness, of the Wilderness uh, witness has shown to us the truths that were brought to light in the New Testament. Aaron's rod in budding is a symbol of a return to life which only and one only can do the almighty he is the only one that can bring again from the dead Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and even those whom we know that can be brought again from the dead the almighty is the only one and toward this end jesus says in revelation i have the keys of death and Hades." jesus has unlocked the grave so we have in here an assurance given by the almighty through the budding of aaron's rod that all men that an assurance given unto all men by god when he raised his son, as you read in Acts 17 verse 31, let's just read it. I think we're all familiar with it. It's when Paul, when Paul stood on Mars Hill. But our minds, as one brother used to say, are like a vessel that is that has is very leaky. The water that we put into our minds easily runs out and it is necessary that we constantly refresh or pour the water back into our minds. Acts 17, chapter 31. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that that he hath raised him from the dead. Now there is another article that was placed within the ark. This is the pot of manna all of us will recall that when the manna was given to Israel during the wandering in the wilderness because if you will recall in that picture which you saw last night in which were scenes in the wilderness of Zim or, and as you approach to Mount Sinai it was as the scriptures say a desolate howling wilderness wherein there was little or no light at all It was the burning sands and the stones. It was all that you could see around you. The children of Israel were taken through this wilderness to test their faith. We are taken through a dreary wilderness now to test our faith. And when the children of Israel had run out of the bread that they provided in their kneading troughs in Egypt, then they became hungry. They began to realize that there was nothing that they couldn't go to the store and buy any food. They had no place to turn, but there was just one place to turn, and that was to the Almighty. And in his mercy, he sent down to them this little white uh, coriander seed, is what it looked like. And, they went, and when the dew was on the ground in the morning, they went out and gathered each man according to his eating. You will also recall that they were commanded to gather it daily, except on the sixth day when they gathered twice as much, or on the 1st through the 5th day if they gathered too much and said well we will lay it up so we'll have some for tomorrow what happened? It bred worms and stank On the 6th day they gathered twice as much but on the 7th it was still good it still was good food The Almighty provided this said to Moses to take a pot of this manna and lay it up in the ark of the testimony that your generations may see the food whereby ye were fed in the wilderness now this brings again a point to our attention that is it is only by our daily reading and, wor- and searching God's word that we obtain the true manna which came down from heaven was given by the Almighty. And in the, natural, the lesson to natural Israel that was the only means for 40 years whereby Israel was preserved alive. It is the only means. There was no other means they did not cultivate, they did not plant, they did not sow, and they did not reap for 40 years except the manna of God's providing. So the exhortation from this ark in the, of the testimony in the most holy place is a clue to us to come daily to God's work. Now there are times when we will through sickness or some other reason we can't do so but let us make it a rule of our daily life that we as often as it is possible we go to God's word now you will wonder why the (coughs) most holy place was completely closed off. There was the tabernacle, there was the boards on the back and on the two sides. There was a veil in the front. There was no light, there was no artificial light in the tab in the most holy place. It was completely veiled off. Now one reason for the arc of the testimony in the wilderness is this that comu- complete communion between God Abraham's seed Israel, between God and Abraham's seed Israel, it was barred. It was barred from the nation of Israel. By the tabernacle and by by ordinances, national Israel was held at a distance. They could not approach, because it requires faith to approach to the Almighty. The way of reconciliation, peace and union was a purpose but was not made manifest while the tabernacle was first standing. Now there is several other things here. There are the the mercy seat and there's the cherubims. You read it, we read it in Exodus. Now, covering this ark or this container, was a mercy seat not made of shittim wood, but of pure gold. There was nothing perishable, perishable about it. It was pure gold. And these two cherubims, or two cherubs, they were to be made part of the cover and although, as you will notice, there's been a little difficulty here, I think in uh, in this one here, but the cherubs were to stand with their wings outstretched and they were to face one another from both ends of the mercy seat they were to look down upon this mercy seat and this mercy seat of pure gold the cherubs of pure gold of one piece one piece of beaten gold were typical of the divine presence in Israel and they looked down the divine presence Overshadow the mercy seat Which is Christ There The Bible says That there I will meet with thee And commune with thee And when Moses Wanted to commune with the Almighty He went To the tabernacle of witness And there the voice and the instructions came to Moses of what he was to do in times of stress and trouble there Moses by on more than one occasion the glory of the Lord appeared to defend his servant Moses now as natural sons and daughters of Israel we would never have been permitted to even approach this tabernacle we would uh, have uh, been necessary for all for us to approach to the door of the court of the tabernacle much less to have been able to see what was within the tabernacle Because when this tabernacle was moved, the mercy seat and the ark was covered from mortal eyes. The high priest, the high priest alone covered it before it was carried to another location. The high priest and the high priest alone was the only one who was allowed to even enter or approach the mercy seat now there's much that can be said about these two chariots but it is a symbol of the divine presence it is a symbol that the holiness of the almighty cannot be approached to in the way of flesh and blood. Aaron, when he entered into the holy place, went in there, in under very carefully prescribed rules. He went in there. He had to go in there with blood. He also had to go in there with something else. There is one other article in that came into, once a year, into this most holy place, and that is the golden censer. And as the great day of atonement arrived, Aaron was to be dressed in his robes. Tomorrow we will look at the clothing of the high priest, but he was to take the censer and was to go to the altar of burnt offering and take fire from off that altar burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and then taking this in the censer he would pass through the veil and as he passed through the veil the incense was put on the coals and mind you this incense was beaten small very fine it was beaten small and he sprinkled that on the burning coals of fire that a cloud of incense might ascend and cover the mercy seat that he dined on <coughs> the burning coals of fire that make this approach to the almighty acceptable are the sufferings of Christ that all of this tabernacle pointed forward to one great supreme work, the work of Christ the mercy seat the mercy is given well first of all the incense Is typical of the prayers of the saints So the high priest went into the most holy place Then he put the incense on the censer In other words When he was in the most holy place He took the prayers of Israel In there with him And it is a very beautiful and fitting symbol that when our great high priest has passed through the veil into the heavens, into the side, sitting on the side of the throne of the Almighty, he takes with him the incense or the prayers. Of all his brethren and sisters there with him and based on his sufferings Christ's sufferings these prayers ascend as an incense acceptable well-pleasing to the Almighty the altar is Christ and when we go in prayer the throne of grace, the answer that we desire may not always be yes. It might be no. But whatever the answer is, whether it be what we desired and asked for or whether it be not, we go there in faith with the full and complete realization that what we may ask for may not be for our eternal welfare. Therefore, the High Priest there presents it as he knows for our eternal welfare. Furthermore, the censer in the holiest place By no means is an indication that prayer to the Almighty is an object of worship in this mortal state only. I'm going to state that again. The fact that the censer was taken into the most holy place is not to be construed that prayer is acceptable from us in this mortal state only. Let us face this very beautiful symbol that prayer will ascend in its perfection after we have been given immortality. We know not how to pray as we ought now But then we will know how to pray in the perfection of beauty that will always be acceptable in God's sight. Our prayers will then always approach with thy will be done. And when we have attained to the divine state, the divine nature, we will no longer be surrounded by the frailties of human weakness, but in the strength and the beauty of the divine nature, we will be entered into prayer and communion with the throne on high in perfection. Now prayer consists of three various aspects. It is something that we have to think about, even in these days. Generally, we look upon prayer, and I speak speak of we, I'm speaking of you and I. We look upon prayer as where we approach the Almighty through our Savior with a petition. We want something. We go and ask for something. That is our general concept of prayer. But did it ever occur to us that prayer does not always, or is not, or should not always be a petition? We should give thanks to the Lord in everything. Thanksgiving becomes an aspect of prayer. When we approach to the memorial table, The brother presiding asks some brother to offer thanksgiving for the bread and for the wine. There is a vast difference, brethren and sisters, between the prayer or a petition and the thanksgiving which we should offer at that time. Now there's another aspect of prayer And that is praise, that is the fruit of our lips, which is all that we can offer to the Almighty. We came into the world with nothing, we leave the world with nothing, and what we have in this life is given through the forbearance, the goodness of the Almighty. It is not ours, it is loaned to us for three score years and ten. And when we are through, it returns to the Maker. Even our breath is loaned to us for our lifetime. And when we approach three, score years and 10 or whatever year, li- span our lifetime might take, we give up our breath. And then we depend upon the Almighty as Jesus did for a return to a living existence, for resurrection. Thus, speaking of the holy place, the most holy place, the question may come to you, why would there be sacrificial blood in the perfect state? Because you will recall that the high priest went into the most holy place once a year in which he carried in blood, which he offered first for himself and then for the sins of the people. Sacrifice, as you know, typifies death. It's symbolic of death. When you sacrifice an animal under the mosaic dispensation, the animal's life was was given up. the the Ark that was in there may be typical of the Ark Throne of the Almighty which will be composed of the Almighty and those who become part of the memorial name in other words the immortalized saints and you will ask what is the reason for blood in the immortal state well let's look at it in this light the blood will bring to our minds in the immortal state our humiliating past our present life that out of a life of weakness and sin in the mercy of the Almighty through the blood of the everlasting covenant we are brought into adornment with the Almighty therefore Christ's blood typically was taken in by the high priest into the most holy in order that that might be the blood that took away the sin of the world Thus our glorified immortal state is due entirely to God's infinite love and mercy. There is nothing else that would bring us to the divine nature. Our question has been asked briefly, and then we will come up here and take a look. What is the significance of the coverings of the tabernacle? May I suggest for your consideration, you'll know the first one was the skins of animals. The second one was ram skins dyed red. The third one was another um, covering that was woven, provided by man. The fourth, the fact is that these, these were all provided by man. But I think the significance is is found thus: that the skins or the life of the animals was taken to provide the covering, and that the covering, that which needed to be covered, was scarred, sin, the ramskins dyed red, and that the last one, the fine linen, was the righteousness that is within us when God's word dwells in our hearts. Now there may be other, more and greater, far-reaching meanings than that, but that is just for a passing consideration as what these coverings of the ark of the testimony, of the uh, tabernacle, signified. Now, if you would like to take, we have exactly five minutes before our time is up. So if you have passed up one side and down the other side, you can have a look. But remember that the cherubims here, they are not facing one another, but they should be.